Hi, you're listening to my mom, Kat Lee, on the Inspired to Action podcast. Hey, can I listen to it? Hey, my name is Kat Lee, and I want to welcome you to the Inspired to Action podcast. I hope this show is the pep talk that you need as a mom, a reminder that what you do every day is life-changing, and it matters more deeply than you could ever imagine. Out of all the women in the world, God chose you to be the mother of your children because you are special and amazing and he has called you and he will equip you. So thank you for serving your family, for loving your children fearlessly and for fighting to be a great mom. This episode is for you. Let's jump right in. Hey friends, this is Kat Lee and today we're chatting with Alexandra Kirkendall about learning to love our actual lives. Alexandra shares about her nine-month experiment of simply embracing her life as it is, and then she shares ways that we can all walk in greater contentment every day. Y'all, this is key. We spend so much time wishing our lives were different, that maybe our kids were older or younger, depending on what situation you're in, our homes were better or our marriage is stronger. Imagine if we spent that wishing time or you know, let's call it what it is, complaining time. If we just spent that focusing on ways that we can truly be thankful and love the life right in front of us. And that's exactly what Alexandra did. And she's going to share her story today. But before we get into our interview with Alexandra, I want to say a huge thank you to our show sponsor, Plan to Eat. Plan to Eat is an online menu planning site, and it makes just managing your recipes and making your shopping list and going to the grocery store so much easier. I love, love, love this website and I have used them for years and you can use them too with a free 30-day trial that they're offering to Inspired to Action listeners. Just go to plantoeat.com forward slash inspired to action and give them a try. All right, let's jump into our show today with Alexandra Kirkendall. Good morning, Alexandra. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I am so glad to have you on the podcast today. Um, just even the title of your book grabbed me. It's called Loving My Actual Life, an Experiment in Relishing What's Right in Front of Me. And I just thought, wow, that is what moms need to hear. This is this is a book that moms need to know about. So um, I'm really looking forward to chatting with you about your book and, and really what was an experiment, as the, the title says, um, and, and just diving into just what your journey was to decide to do this, what the journey was going through it, and, and what you learned from it. Um, but before we do that, I want to make sure that every mom, you know, if there's anyone out there who's not already familiar with you, to, to know a little bit more about who you are and about your family. So I'd love for you just to take a minute and introduce this to yourself. Sure. Um, well, I have four daughters, and one of them is poking her head into the office where I'm talking <laughs> you right now. <laughs> so I am trying to um, do the hand signals to tell her now is not a good time. Uh, but my girls range in age from 13 to 4, and we live in Denver, Colorado, right uh, off of downtown. We're right in the city. And my husband uh, works as the executive director of Providence Network here in Denver, which uh, provides transitional housing to people coming out of homelessness. So um, he deals with people who are leaving domestic violence situations, are trying to become sober, whatever issues would lead someone to be homeless. Um, he helps them kind of deal with that and get back on their feet. 
And I worked at Mops International, Mothers of Preschoolers, uh, for about 10 years. Um, Mops is based here in Denver. And I was at the office doing stuff with a lot of their publications. And a few years ago, felt like God was telling me it was time to step away for lots of reasons. A big part is because uh, my kids need to be driven <laughs> lots of places. And when you go from having little kids that are home all the time that are really home-based to having kids who have their own schedules and need to be in different locations, and um, in my case, because of the age range, different schools, mm-hmm. um, I thought, well, I'm going to have to figure out somebody else who can do this and I'll need to pay them or uh, I can take this time and do it myself. But it really was the beginning of this journey that I had of what do I want out of life? What do I want to remember from this phase of life? What do I want my kids to remember? And um, how do I step back and really love today and not be working towards the next phase? Because I think for so much of our lives, we're always looking to the next thing. Before we have kids, we're waiting until we have kids. Often we have a hard time having kids. Um, When we're single, we're waiting to get married. And when we're moms, we are given these babies that then we're waiting for them to sleep through the night. We're then waiting for them to be potty trained. And we're living for that next. So when this happens, then things will be better. Then I'll be happier. And I lived like that for a long time and then realized now, today, is the time that my kids are at home. My oldest is 13, and her entering middle school for me was a big marker because right away I knew seven. I have seven years left with her at home. And if I don't slow down a little bit and pay attention, I'm going to miss these years because I'm so distracted with all of these other things that I have going on. And I'm going to regret that. And I don't want to. And the hard thing is that today is filled with a lot of yuck, a lot of discomfort, a lot of things that I wish were over, phases that I wish we were done with. But I want to embrace today because tomorrow is not promised. And So I went on this journey to examine what can I do to love my actual life? And that's kind of how it all came about. I love it. You know, as as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, when I had that first reaction just to your book about this is exactly what moms need to hear, you know, probably realistically, I really need to hear this. This is so good because I think we're much in the same season of life. I have a 14 year old a 12 year old and then a nine year old mm-hmm. and they all just they all just shifted recently into those ages um and you know man life goes by so fast I'm, in your book i forget who it was i think an older coworker of your husband or something mm-hmm. who said something about um you know it, it it goes really slow until 11 and then after 11 it just flies and you know i can definitely agree with that and i feel very much like you do that i'm in this season of I just want to embrace it. Like every time we go somewhere and my son or one of my daughters holds my hand in public as we're walking mm-hmm. through church or the mall, I'm like, this could be the last time. Mm-hmm. This could be the last time that they really want to do that. And so just wanting to embrace um, every moment. So so all that to say, I just am, am so excited about this. So I love how you approached it as an experiment as opposed to um, 
I will now bestow upon everyone reading this book <laughs> what I have gleaned from my, you know, years of experience and knowledge. Mm-hmm. So kind of what led into that? This is a, a little bit of a different kind of book than, than typically we, we read. And, and it was so just readable. I love, you know, it's almost like diary format about <laughs> what happened each day. So kind of what inspired even the format of the book? Well, I worked at Mops International, like I mentioned, for a number of years. And if I learned anything there, it's that there's not one right way to parent. Um, that Something that works well for one person isn't going to work well for another, and that's okay. Uh, but what I've also learned in my own journey now of uh, 13 years of parenting is that what works well for one child isn't necessarily going to work well for another, even in the same home. So true. Or what works well for one child in one phase may not work well. Yes. (laughs) Kids change and we change. So uh, I don't like anything that is formulaic because it doesn't take into account individual circumstances. So I didn't want to put out a parenting book that said this is how you do it or a life management book because I just don't. Uh, believe in that philosophy of kind of one way. So what I thought is the really the best um, books for me are when I'm going on a journey with someone. So I wanted to invite people into my journey. And I wanted uh, also to create a framework that if they wanted to duplicate it and try and see what works for them, then I would be giving them the framework to do that. And that was my goal as I was structuring the book. I also wanted to be honest about what didn't work. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think throughout the book, I recognized this maybe would work for you as the reader, but it did not work for me at all. And I recognize I have some certain uh, tendencies, preferences, personality um indicators that push me in certain directions and other people are wired different than I am. So that's why I did the experiment. And I I truly was in an experiment. I was trying to figure out what will help me in this one area of my life. And so listeners know the premise of the book is that I, I do this nine month experiment, but I take each month a different area of focus for me and ask the question, if I made some small changes in this one area, would it help my quality of life, my family's quality of life? Would it help me love my actual life a little more? And so some months are kind of all encompassing, like the first month is quiet. So I really try to add quiet into my days. And I do that at all different times in all different ways. But the next month is very specific. It's morning routines. So I'm really just focusing on what's going to make getting out of the house better for us as a family. So I tried to balance kind of these larger approaches to life, these larger um, things that we encounter throughout our day with some very specific things from month to month. So I'm curious in that quiet month, Mm -hmm. one is that something that your personality um, gravitates towards or is that difficult for you? No, absolutely. I'm an introvert. And so I need quiet to process and I need quiet to regroup and to even think. Like I can't think if there's too much stimuli going on around me and I live with five other people. And so... Well, and four girls, which, you know, just takes it to another level. Yes. So... um, 
I have a hard time putting that into my days. Uh, not because I don't want it, but just because the nature of my life. I have a daughter who gets up at six in the morning during the school year, and I have one who's still home with me during the day. So it was really hard for me to find uh, those pockets. So it definitely is something that I craved. And you were able to just find different ways to to work that in. I love how you focused each month on on something different. And I'm curious to know, is there one month that was most impactful for you? Oh, that's a great question. I would say that uh, my biggest challenge of a month, and I predicted this going into it, again, because of who I am and how I'm wired, was home organization. Like, I am such a terrible <laughs> housekeeper. It's um, horrendous. And I'm not a very organized person. Systems don't come naturally to me. I like them when they're in place, but to come up with them on my own is really hard. And I found that a lot of home organizing books or resources really are geared toward people who are naturally organized because the people who are creating them are wired that way. Um, so I tried to figure out what could work for me. And what I realized in that process is that it is hard for me to kind of put those things in place. But if I focus in on what motivates me, mm-hmm. I am much more likely to make a space peaceful and organized for my family and for those who are coming to visit. And people motivate me. So if my home feels calm and peaceful and less chaotic, my husband is happier when he comes home at the end of a stressful day. My kids are happier when they come home at the end of their stressful days. It just creates a space of peace. And because I'm not naturally bent that way, I think I've dismissed that for a long time. Like, well, that's just not how I'm wired and I can step over the mess and just keep walking. But when I really worked on it, I saw the difference. And so maybe for me, that was the most impactful because the difference was so dramatic. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I also realized I am much more open to the spontaneous inviting people inside my home if it's already prepared for them. Mm -hmm. So if I have a guest room ready, then I can offer a last minute invite when somebody gets stranded at the Denver airport, which people often do because of snow. Um, If uh, the table is set in a sense, but also literally, then I'm much more willing to invite the neighbor girl over for dinner when she's playing at our house to say, this space is ready for our guests, but also for my family. I need to remember that they live here too. And they are the most important people that I want to be creating a safe space for. And uh, my friend Krista often talks about treating your family as if they're your guests. And uh, so I tried to do that a little bit. I love that. It's almost as if taking that, just that simple time to prepare opens up your actual life for more, for more, you know, for for people to come in, for new relationships, for exciting things that kind of break out of the mundane. And just that that small bit of intention, 
intentionality is really impactful. And I love what you said too about motivation, the, the motivation for um, getting your home ready, organizing it, cleaning it, decorating it, whatever that may be. I, I absolutely related to that because I'm not, it's not really a big thing t- to me either. You know, I, I typically kind of want stuff tidy in the area that I'm in, but like, especially kind of after 6 PM, I'm a little bit done. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the house can kind of be however it is. I I just put all the dishes on one side of the kitchen. And just as I walk through, I look at the other side, you know, whatever it takes. Um, But when I have that motivation of, it's not about the tidy house. It's not about having my house look like it's from a magazine or something like that, but it's about the people that come into it and, and, and finding those things that motivate me um, to make the, our home a beautiful place that we want to invite people into. So I think that's a, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. One thing I wanted to ask you. So with a book entitled loving your actual life, <laughs> what does, what, what part does, did social media play mm. in this whole thing or if it's not a thing for you, what would you say to moms who have a hard time loving their actual life when they see, you know, everybody else's perfect life, mm. quote unquote, on mm. social media? Yeah, I think this is a huge, huge thing for parents right now. And I just listened to your interview with Allie Worthington, mm. and she addressed this and said, if my kids had been little when all of this Um, Pinterest existed, I think I would have gone crazy. And I think the same is true for me. When my first daughter was born, Facebook didn't exist. By the time my fourth daughter was born, it was as if she hadn't been born until I posted it on Facebook. It like validated her very existence. (laughs) I mean, it changed that much in nine years, really. And now for, for people who are in the early stages of parenting and haven't known any different, it's just the water we swim in. And so we don't think about, at least I don't, and I've even parented without Facebook or Instagram or any of, or Pinterest. Um, we don't think about the fact that we're the first generation to ever have access to information about other people all the time. I think about my neighborhood in Denver. I live in a historic neighborhood. So women were raising children here a hundred years ago, 50 years ago. They didn't know what their neighbor was serving for dinner. They didn't know the vacation that their high school friend was in the middle of. And we know that. And what we know is everybody else's highlight reel. We see the beautiful parts, the best parts. And I heard Shauna Nequist a few years ago say, you know, I don't look at Facebook when things are going awesome in my life. Um, I look at it when I'm bored, when there's um, downtime. And I, I have found that to be true with me too, that I start scrolling just as habit. And so that actually was part of my first month. The quiet experiment is I cut out social media for a month because I realized a lot of the noise in my life was actual noise, but a lot of it was virtual noise too. Mm-hmm. And uh I was surprising and disappointing how much time that added to my schedule. Um, but it also made me really realize the habit I was in to grab my phone and just start scrolling and what I was missing right in front of me when I was doing that, that I wasn't present. And I'll tell you, this really is a challenge for me, like a, a true, honest 
challenge. My husband sometimes takes my phone away from me out of my hand as a way of saying, you're missing what is happening right here. This is what matters. And I get sucked in. And so it really is a challenge for me. So I would say to moms who are like me in that, um, to create some boundaries that you can hold to. I have a hard time creating deadlines that I'm the only one that's going to hold them, if that makes sense. Like I can't create my own deadlines. I need to be accountable to somebody else. So I have found that too with like my phone. I can't just say, well, I'm just not going to look at it. I need to put it somewhere where it's not going to be within my reach. Um, Put it by the back door where my car keys are or um, put it in a basket where I have to physically go and get it. And that's a little bit harder during the school year because I like to have um, my phone with me when my kids aren't. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a little trickier. But in the summer months, at least right now, I don't have to have my phone with me. My children are with me. So there's no emergency that um, would require me to be accessible all the time. I totally and completely relate to this. And, you know, as with, with, you know, you being a writer and with this book coming out, I'm sure there's a lot of work things that you need to do on your phone as well. And you need to be checking email and doing all these things. And, and, and it's the same with me. And so sometimes it's, it's hard to draw that line between, okay, what am I doing on my phone right now? Is this, mm-hmm. is this work? Am I bored? What am I doing? And so I've, you know, it's been a struggle for me as well during, you know, during the summer months or during the school year. Last year, I um, homeschooled my at the time, 13 year old. And so she was home with me all, all the time. And I really wanted to, to savor that season. And so um, this is just for our, our listeners. And, and uh, the, a couple of things that really have helped me with this are I got a um, Fitbit Alta for my, uh, I think it was from Mother's Day last year, I guess. And it's just, you know, it's like a Fitbit, but it has like a little screen on it. And it's not as fancy as an Apple Watch, which is sort of the point, because all it can do is tell you like the time. And then it can tell you who's calling, if somebody's calling you, or the first, I think, like 40 characters of a text message. Hmm. Um, and so it's been so good for me because I don't have to keep my phone near me because I know that if somebody calls or somebody texts, I can see who it was and, you know, see what it was about without having to have my phone there. And that has been very helpful for me as I've tried to separate myself from my phone a little bit. Um, And then there's also an app called Forest. This is like the dorkiest sounding app ever. But it, um, you plant a tree, you open the app, and then you plant a little tree. And, And so the way that you do it is you set a time for like 10 minutes or 30 minutes. And then the app kind of, it doesn't take over your phone, but in order to turn the app off, you have to press a button that says, I quit. Mm-hmm. And then if it if you press that button, then the tree dies. And so your whole goal is to like plant lots of trees. And so anyway, as I've, this has been a big struggle for me as well. That app has really helped because if I don't want to do anything in life, I don't want to push a button that says I quit. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so it's been so helpful for me to just kind of step away a little bit from, from my phone because it's definitely been, um, you know, a struggle as well. So for moms listening, if any of that helps, there you go. Um, I have a question for you. Again, in this area, because you have a 13-year-old, um, how has this whole experiment translated at all to helping your daughter, especially her growing up so much in social media? You know, how, how will you help her love her actual life? Because I think this is an even bigger issue for the generations to come. 
I, well, I think that's a great question. I'll be honest. I don't do a great job <laughs> at it. Uh, she does have a phone, so she has access to it and I limit what she can be on. Um, like she's not allowed to have Snapchat because I can't, I don't know one. I don't know how it works that well. <laughs> so I can't monitor her, but I have also just heard some things about things being able to disappear. And so um, I follow her on Instagram, so I know what she's posting. Um, we have a policy that we can take her phone at any point and look at it. Uh, my husband says, it's not your phone. It's our phone because we bought it and we're letting you borrow it. So that means at any point we have the right to take it away. We don't have to give you a reason. Um, but I think it's this... I feel like I monitor what she's looking at, but the truth is she's often looking at things and I have no idea what it is. And so I'll be really honest that I need to do a better job of it. Um, but I think it is this constant conversation of what is real. Hmm. What is real about you? What is real about our world? And how do the images we see, whether it's social media or just news, media of any kind, what are they telling us and what are they based on? And I think her job as she ages is to be able to distinguish between what is real and what is marketing or what is edited or what is photoshopped, that she has to be able to discern that it's a life skill that people need to have now. Because if not, then we take all of these images or all of this information at face value. It will, one will go crazy, but also we won't really be searching for truth. And so my hope is that I'm helping her discern what is true. And I'll give you like, this is kind of a lame example, but it's what came to mind. Um, we just redid her bedroom last week. Um, we rearranged some who's sleeping with who in our house. And so my two older girls are now in the same room, which they hadn't been for a while. And so we did to make it fun, kind of this bedroom makeover. And since I told you, I'm not the home organizing person. I'm also not the home decorating person, but she is as a 13 year old, she has spent a lot of time on Pinterest and loves all that stuff and had really strong opinions, but we were putting the sheet on the bed and it wasn't fitting properly. And I realized that she has seen all of these Pinterest photos, magazine pictures of what a bedroom looks like. And none of them have real people that live in them. Um, people don't sleep in those beds. And so kind of explaining to her, this is what real sheets are. They don't fit perfectly. They are made to fit all kinds of different mattresses. And when someone is staging a photo for Pinterest, there aren't going to be any wrinkles. It's going to be completely smooth and tight. And that just seemed to be a symbol to me of the difference between what we see and what's reality. It's the actual life element, right? right? That this is um, the actual life of having a bed, <laughs> people sleep in it and it gets wrinkled and it's not going to look perfect all the time. I think what you said there is just, you know, it, it hits the absolute 
part of you know for for women for grown women and for what we need to be instilling in our kids as well just that being able to distinguish uh, between what's real and and what's what's not I, I love in your book you um you tell a story about you know going and helping at your daughter's school and and there's a line where you said um but i'm focusing on what I actually can do and not what I think I should do or even worse, what I think others think I should do. That's like should two times removed. Mm -hmm. And I just love that line. And I love kind of what you just shared right now, because when we, you know, when we are watching other people's not actual lives or, you know, we're watching staged um, photo shoots of bedrooms or people or whatever, it, you know, we're, we're thinking about, oh, that that's what I should like look like. That's what my home should look like. And, and, and honestly, that time that we spend keeps us from people's actual homes and people's mm -hmm. actual lives. And we get this distorted view of what ours should be. And um, I think that's that's a great, great point. Well, and I want to be grateful for what God has given me. And if we're constantly disappointed, then we're not living out of gratitude. We're living out of resentment and jealousy. And so... I ask myself, what is going to make me more grateful? And so those images and that constant feed probably aren't going to make me more grateful. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's just kind of the posture that I try to use and the filter I try to use when I'm choosing to look at something. Is this going to help me live out of gratitude for what God has gifted me with? Mm -hmm. You know, I've been off of Instagram for a little while because I would just find myself just sort of endlessly scrolling and then on these little bunny trails. And I'm like, I don't even know this person. Why did I just look through two years of their <laughs> life? And and as I've thought about getting back, you know, getting back on it, I, I keep thinking, well, what am what am I going to share? I'm like, well, I should probably share my dirty laundry pile because that's mm -hmm. a little bit more real. But that's not what, you know, they say that you're supposed to share on your Instagram feed. You know, and it's just this balance of... I want what I share to be a blessing to people, you know, in my actual life. And, and it's so hard because, you know, especially for our kids and, and people just kind of diving into social media, we're not really thinking thoughtfully about it. We're all sharing just this image of perfection and not the real. And it, it perpetuates just this struggle that we have to want what other people have or not be content with what we have. So I love this experiment that you went on. If there was one thing that you would say to moms thinking, okay, maybe, maybe I could try this experiment. Mm -hmm. What encouragement would you give them if they're about to step into this whole idea? Well, I think if they're going through the book to realize that I know that everybody has different things that are going to work for them. And that is the whole point that God has given us each one unique life. And he's wired us uniquely. And our job is to figure out how to glorify him through it and in it. And so this is a framework for women to use, a tool that they can use to explore their own life. But it really is meant to ask, God, where would you have me today knowing all of the things that you know? And I really had to pull away from work when I decided to um, leave mops and focus on my kids a little more and my family a little more. Uh, but th those were my unique circumstances. I could do that and not everybody can. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I would say do um, this experiment with an open mind to God revealing to you what is unique about you and your circumstances and how you can love them a little more. That's so good because I think a, a lot of women might open the book and be like, well, I, I can't really dive in that much. I can't dive in. I don't have the space to dive in as much as she did. But ultimately, your whole premise is we are all different. We have all of different circumstances. And you can dive into the level that God is calling you to dive in to reveal what he wants to reveal in your life. Um, so, you know, on the back cover of the book, um, you talk about kind of rekindling your love of your ordinary actual life. Would you say that at the end of that experiment that it worked? Yes, I would. And I would say it's not rocket science. It's just the practice of it made me disciplined to um, look and observe what was right in front of me, that I started paying attention in a better way. And that really opened my eyes to how much God had gifted me with. And in almost every circumstance, I mean, I talk about some hard things that happened over that nine-month period, but even in the midst of those, I was able to be grateful for where I saw God working and how I saw Him providing for me and for my family. So even in the journey, you were able to love your actual life. Yes. That's so good. Uh, Alexandra, where can people find you online, and then where can they get a copy of your book? Well, the book can be found anywhere books are sold. So Amazon's my go-to place, um, but in bookstores. And uh, they can find me at alexandrakirkendall.com. My last name is spelled a little bit funny. It's K-U-Y-K-E-N-D-A-L-L. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I I just highly encourage everybody listening, grab a copy of this book and and you know, grab some friends, walk through the experiment together because, you know, it's so much of our culture talks about adding more to our lives to make it better. But really, it's so much about just recognizing the beauty of what's already there. And Alexandra's kind of given you a little, um, not a blueprint, but a little guidebook to, to get a vision of how to do that for yourself. So Alexandra, thank you again for being on the show today. Oh, it's my pleasure. All right. Bye-bye. Well, that's all that we have for today's episode of the Inspired to Action podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen. I know that there are a million things that you could be doing right now, and I hope that this episode has encouraged you. You know, if you have any questions or suggestions for me, just head over to inspiredtoaction.com and click the contact button to send me an email. I would love to hear from you, and I would love to do whatever I can to get the resources that you need to keep growing as a mom. And if you enjoyed this podcast, it would be awesome if you take a minute to rate it on iTunes. That's going to help more moms to find it and get the encouragement that they need. And as always, you can check out all the show notes for this session at inspiredtoaction.com. And you can also download any of our free ebooks or our free prayer calendars for moms at the blog. Just go to inspiredtoaction.com and click on the resources link. And my name is Kat Lee, and I wish you an incredible day with your family. And remember, you're a mom. You're kind of a big deal. Now go be awesome. It's early in the morning, the house is quiet. But I've set aside this time for you. I 
bow before the throne of a noble king And in this place my heart begins to sing It's gonna be a good day, a good day filled with his grace His grace and sweet new mercy Jesus to walk in his way 